herons with hooves just a couple sets ago. Hello and welcome to JudgeCast. This is episode 272. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Perlman, and I am joined this evening, afternoon, well, just this morning. It's it's really the morning. By the one and only Samantha Har. That's me in the morning. Yes. And this is going to be our Kamigawa 2 Electric Boogaloo release notes episode. The Neon Dynasty. Kamigawa, but make it Tron. It's like lit up like an 80s Taco Bell. I'm thrilled. I think it's super, super cool. I and everyone I know that's that's kind of been doing the pre-release thing so far has has really loved it. I'm I'm excited just by how excited everyone is for this set. And I I, I was not a judge. I wasn't really a a, a player when original Kamigawa ca- sets came out. So this is sort of my first actual chance to get to play anything in this lore setting. So I'm I'm really excited about it. What do you think, Brian? I'm having mixed feelings. Like I'm seeing that a lot of people are getting excited and. There are a lot of cards that I think are really cool. I'm not super thrilled by the whole mecha aspect of the set. That is so bizarre coming from you. I just it's I'm not I'm not feeling it, dog. That that's like one of the thing that's like one of the few things we like have truly truly in common is we we like robots. We like big robots. I do like Why don't do you like, like these big, big robots? robots? What's that? Why don't you like these robots? I don't know. I don't like like I am a big huge Voltron fan and I'm not a super fan of that Voltron mecha. I'm just sort of like meh. But I appreciate the rules aspects of the cards because the the very first uh uh when the very first equipment monkey was released, <laughs> I message I message uh Jess and I'm like, "What did you do?" What have you done? What have you done? And he's just L O, you know, L O L, ha 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 ha. I'm just like, oh. <laughs> All right. So, do you want to get into? Uh, we're gonna have a, a mecha-sized episode. This could be a long one, friends. So buckle in. Yeah. Um, we're gonna kick off right away with a brand new keyword ability: reconfigure. Whoa. And it's it took me a few read-throughs on this to to figure out what it was talking about, but it's it's very cool. So. Reconfigure represents two activated abilities. Reconfigure cost means cost. Attach this permanent to another target creature you control. Activate only as a sorcery. And it also means cost. Unattach this permanent. Activate only if this permanent is attached to a creature and only as a sorcery. So we we have some examples here. We've got... You should probably say what, what these things are, right? Just in general? In general, they they are artifact creatures that are equipments. I, I suppose, right? Yeah, they're equi- they're equipment that's also creatures. These are wacky looking at them. It's like bestow or living weapon or lizards or whatever. It's yeah, it's it's a because one of the rules of the game that we've had is if you somehow turn an equ- uh, an equipment into a creature, it can't equip anything. And here we got equipment creatures. Here they are. What's this? <laughs> Yeah, so so here's some examples. We have Acquisition Octopus for two and a blue. Artifact Creature Equipment Octopus. It's a 2-2. Whenever Acquisition Octopus or Equipped Creature deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. And then it's got Reconfigure 2. So it, it can act on its own. It can help another thing. That's It's it's variable. It's neat. So, so go ahead and, and tell them, Brian, about this other example we have here since 
you and Jess are so excited about well, it. Well, I, I just like, okay, so Simeon Sling, for one mana, it is a 1-1 one, one artifact creature equipment monkey. Which, I, I just like saying that, equipment monkey. Equipped creature gets plus one, plus one. Uh, and whenever Simeon Sling or equipped creature becomes blocked, it deals one damage to defending player. Reconfigure two. See, I see this and I, you know, being a little 1-1, one, one, I just think about like a bionicle that's shaped like a monkey. It, the art actually also kind of makes it look like a little bionicle that's like sitting on a, on a dude's <laughs> shoulder. So uh, some, some notes about Reconfigure. Note that Reconfigure doesn't say anything about it stopping being a creature. Yeah, that's kind of weird. Like, we go like, okay, it just says attach it. Well, sorry, the rules text for Reconfigure, the reminder text says while attached this isn't a creature but the two activated the abilities don't. that but the two activated abilities that mean reconfigure didn't say anything about it stopping being a creature yeah so that's that is because the chain that change isn't actually in the reconfigure ability you you have to go fishing in the cr for for that to be the case which is kind of neat so and i i had to think i had to ponder long and hard as to why that was but it ended up making sense by the time i got through it <laughs> So attaching an equipment attaching an equipment with reconfigure to a creature will cause that equipment to stop being a creature until it becomes unattached. That effect is being created with a duration, meaning once it's created it exists independent of the reconfigurability. So removing the reconfigurability while your equipment monkey is equipped won't cause it to fall off. So Yeah. That, that all kind of comes together. Right. And it's it does solve a problem by having so the the comprehensive rules are creating a type changing effect with a duration as a result of you using the reconfigurability. Right. <clears throat> All right. So then, when it stops being a creature, it's going to lose the creature subtypes till it becomes a creature again. Yeah. So it's not technically a uh, an equipment monkey. It's just an equipment. We can all secretly believe that. I know. Hearts, I know. In my I'm heart, not it's make anybody stop. in my I'm heart. It's still an equipment monkey. Like, just don't ever let it become relevant so you don't have to argue about it. See, that's the key. <laughs> you can reconfigure a tapped equipment creature. It will attach to the other creature tapped, but that doesn't mean anything unless you reconfigure off the creature before you untap. So, yeah, I, I guess you can do it, but yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah a tapped equipment doesn't mean anything. Right. Um, if the equipment creature with reconfigure stops being a creature, any equipment will fall off, and any auras that can't continue to enchant the equipment will fall off as well. That's fairly intuitive. And this is this is it might feel a little bit wordy where we're talking about like the equipment with reconfigure or the equipment creature with reconfigure. That's because just saying like an an equipment creature, if somehow something becomes an equipment and a creature and doesn't have reconfigure, it still follows the same old rules that we're we're used to. So it's right, specifically right. an equipment with reconfigure or an equipment creature with reconfigure. Yeah, it's it's a lot of verbiage, but it, it it's very specific for a reason because this interacts with a lot of different rules, really, in really unique ways. It's kind of interesting. If you remember, do you, did you ever deal with these cards called Lissids? No. Okay, so Lissids are absolutely horrible and terrible. Uh, they were creatures that there was like calming lissid and dominating lissid and a few others there was they were creatures that you tapped and activated and they became an enchantment on another creature so like calming lissid was a 2-2 lissid a 2-2 lissid creature lissid for two and a white 
and then you activated its ability, tapped Calming Lissid, loses this ability, and becomes an aura enchantment with enchant creature. Attached to target creature. You may pay a white to end this effect. Hmm. Basically, it went from being a creature to an aura to a creature, and for the longest time, these cards just didn't really work. Yeah, I, I, I'm struggling with that one. I'll have to, I'll have to ponder real hard on Lissids later after this it's, episode. It's basically... Uh, 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 a reconfigure only for equipment instead of or for uh, yeah for equipment instead of for auras but mm. this was like a really weird rules black hole for a long time and they haven't done anything like this in a while because it got really really complicated so that that little CR rule that sets up the, the effect when you attach a equipment creature with reconfigure setting up that effect with a duration does a lot of heavy lifting from a rules perspective. That makes sense. Okay. So an equipment creature with reconfigure can end up attached to creatures by other effects, like with magnetic theft. See, this is why I, I don't know how I could ever do a show like this without you, Brian. I've never heard of this card in my life. Oh. You know you know cards I've never heard of before in my life. It's, it's so not a very popular theft. card. I can't imagine why. But this this card, go go ahead, because this card set up a fun uh, a fun question. All right, so magnetic theft is just a red inst one pay one red for an instant. It's from God, Fifth Dawn, by the way. That, it's an old yeah. Card. I was like, what set is that? Fifth Dawn. Yeah. Attach target equipment to target creature. Control of the equipment doesn't change. Parentheses. Hmm. Yeah. So what happens? What happens if you if you target your equipment monkey, your semi or your Acquisition octopus. Well, it doesn't acquisition octopus sound like it should be wearing a suit. You it know? gives me the creeps. I wish it wouldn't. Right? Yeah, like, no. like it needs to straighten its tie. It, is, Ugh, it wants I to talk stocks. It's trading on Wall Street with its eight. Yuck. Okay, go on. All right. So now while reconfigure works like equipping, it it is not an equipability. So cards that care about activating equipabilities won't interact. See, you have won't interact with equipping, um, Brian. I, I think I yeah. need some clarification on that. Oh, uh, so there's um, or attaching rather. Um, okay. So what happens is there are certain cards that uh, whenever you equip a creature or equip costs cost zero, uh, that kind of thing. Reconfigure does a very similar thing to equipping. Okay, it it attaches. Uh, yeah. But it also allows you to unattach, which equip doesn't. And True. it's got a special, that special CR that we were talking about where it sets up the temporary effect or the the type changing effect. Okay, Gosh. but you can still attach. So magnetic, magnetic theft says attach target equipment to uh, target creature. So you can do that with an, with an equipment that has equip or an equipment that has reconfigure. You can still attach. Right. But with magnetic theft, so it says equip target equipment or sorry, attach target equipment to target creature. Can I cast Magnetic Theft and target both my my equipment monkey, because it is a target equipment, to target to target creature? I can target the equipment monkey. So I can cast Magnetic Theft trying to attach equipment monkey to itself. Now, can I do that? Can I cast that spell and declare those as my targets? Yes. Is it actually going to cr- break the rules and create like this this weird monkey eating its own tail thing <laughs> you know n- no or boros monkey yeah equipment can't equip itself there's a rule that says that so just straight out no 
So you, you can do it, it just won't do anything? Is that what's happening here? Yeah, you can still target it, but when it goes to resolve, that monkey's just going to like look at you and be like, are you kidding me? It's going to go, nah. Yeah. <laughs> Or the the acquisition the acquisition octopus is just going to be like sell all your stock in this idea. <laughs> the octopus is going to be like go buy some crypto, and you'll yeah. be like nah. Yeah, it's going to be whatever the opposite of the stonks meme is. All right, now the effect makes the equipment a non creature. The effect that makes the equipment a non creature is still a continuous effect. So something else could change its type back to creature, or you run into layers dependency issues with March of the Machine. Yeah. So it immediately becomes unattached. Yeah. So Mar- March of the Machine. So this is a type changing effect in the in the CR where it says it stops being a creature until it becomes un- unattached. That is a type changing effect. So we are removing a type. Okay. That's handled in layer four. So generally speaking, if I have something that's making making my equipment into a creature. And it has somehow gained reconfigure, or uh, it's we're getting we're getting a little weird. But if if the, the if the equipment has already become a creature due to some other animating effect uh, or a different creature, or there's another effect on top of it, and then you reconfigure it, the CR is going to say, okay, it's no longer a creature. That's gonna that effect is going to apply, you know, timestamp order, and it's going to stop being a creature, even if there's another effect that's making it a creature. However, if something then later tries to make it a creature while it is equipped, it's going to immediately come unattached. The issue with March of the Machines is a dependency issue because March of the Machines says all non-creature artifacts become artifact creatures with power and toughness equal to its uh, mana value. Okay, so while Acquisition Octopus is unattached, it March of the Machines isn't trying to make it a creature. If you then take... Acquisition Octopus and reconfigure onto your Simeon Monkey, Simic Monkey, Simeon Monkey. All monkeys are Simeons. What is this? Simeon Sling. Are they? Well, I, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> this is a rules podcast. Don't fact check me on my animal genomes and. We'll look into. We'll look into monkeys later. <laughs> families and stuff like that. Yeah. Um. So if I equip my Acquisition Octopus, so I have a March of the Machine out. It's not affecting Acquisition Octopus. It's not affecting Simeon Sling. But when I equip, or reconfigure rather, my Acquisition Octopus onto my Simeon Sling, my ac- my Octopus now stops being a creature, which means March of the Machines, because of dependencies, can now see it and try to make it and try and change it into a creature. And it changed my it changes my octopus back my my equipment back into an equipment octopus and it's going to fall off or would it actually make it an octopus because it lost it didn't really lose the type it just got suppressed so now that it's a creature i think the octopus type will come back didn't really research that exact question before the episode so i'm gonna i think it does regain that type though well that gives us the opportunity to research monkeys and octopi yes octopi all right what's uh what's next Another new game term, we have modified, which modified is a new term that's kind of like historic. It's just a term to group other terms together. It doesn't really mean, I don't know, it's not that complicated. (laughs) Modified just means the creature had an equipment or an aura attached to it or some counters on it. So the the reminder text here on on these cards will just say equipment, ores you control, and counters are modifications. And how this becomes relevant in some examples here, we have 
Aki Ember Keeper for one and a red. It's an enchantment creature goblin warrior. It's 2-1, and it says, Whenever a non-token modified creature you control dies, create a 1-1 colorless spirit creature token. So yeah, you just see the word modified, and that's, that's what it means. So some specifics here. It doesn't matter what type of counters. It can be neg a negative one, negative one counter, or a burst counter, or a vigilance counter. What is this example you've given? What do you mean, what is this example I gave? Well, what if I fortify a land with Darksteel Garrison and then animate the land? Is that modified? Yeah. No. So Darksteel, Darksteel Garrison is basically an equipment. It has the fortify ability, which is basically equipment for land. So if equipping, uh, if equipping a creature works and then I equip my Darksteel Garrison onto my land and then animate the land, it's now a creature with, uh, with something attached to it. Mm. The answer is no. No, that's not modified. No. Go away. Go away. You... Knock it off. Hush. <laughs> Hush. Shh. Settle down. Here's the thing. If anybody ever asks you a question in exactly that tone of voice, well, what if I blah, 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 and then I blah, 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 is it blah, like, no. The answer is always no, if you hear that tone of Gener voice. <laughs> generally no. Generally no. I will... even, even if the answer is yes, the answer becomes no, because they came at you like that. <laughs> That's in the CR. Don't look it up. Okay. Do you want to, do you want to, do you want to cover the next one? This next one kind of makes me a little sad. Oh, what? babies. What? New keyword ability completed with the funny spelling. Yes. The first time I, the first time I ever saw this spelled this way, I, I read it like compliot. <laughs> compliot? And I still think compliot when I see it. So new slash returning game mechanic, hybrid Phyrexian mana, which is pretty neat. So completion with the funny spelling, besides being heck on spell checkers, is the process by which someone becomes a Phyrexian. And here we are. Everyone's super bummed out about poor Tamio. I know. <laughs> poor Tamio. Compliotted sage. Debuts the completed keyword ability along with a new hybrid Phyrexian mana symbol. So paying life for that symbol for that symbol allows you to cast Tamio, perhaps a turn sooner, but she will enter with two fewer loyalty counters. Yep. And I, I, I do I do see the note here that you say they tend not to use keyword to create keyword abilities when it's only going to happen once. So yeah, is, who who else is going to get the old compliot? Yeah, I saw on YouTube a really interesting theory that someone set up where they uh, okay, so this is possible. You know, I'm going to say spoilers for the next one minute, except for the fact that it's just someone's wacky theory. So may or may not. But the rough idea that I think is really, really awesome is they're, the Phyrexians are going to try and complete Teferi. And then, because Teferi is a time mage, they're going to try and go back in time and alter the Brothers' War. Which would explain the set progression where they're kind of going through the, the sets that they're going through. And then, you know, the sets that they've announced. And then they get to the Brothers' War if it's, if it's another time travel thing. That's a cool theory. I like that. I know. I thought it was really, really awesome too. I have no idea if it if it's uh, if it's going to be a thing, but it's fun to hypothesize. the The only thing that's a little a little depressing is because they kind of already did that time travel, go back and change things with uh, with cons of Tarkir. True. So, so it feel it feels kind of wrong to go back to that well a second time. And I was about to say so soon. In reality, I'm like uh, soon. Like Ten years. <laughs> I know it was like like eight years ago. I don't know. <laughs> 
Oh, what even is time? Yep. Okay, so so looking at Tamio completed Sage, I trying to read this 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 cost aloud. Okay, here we go. So it's two generic, a green, a hybrid Frexian mana, green blue, and then a blue. I, I don't really know the proper way to communicate that verbally, but I hope you know what I what I mean. So Tamio here is a legendary planeswalker Tamio. Um, and her abilities, she's got a plus one, tap up to one target artifact or creature. It doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step. It's got a minus X. Exile target non-land permanent card with mana value X from your graveyard. Create a token that's a copy of that card. And then our final one here is a, a negative seven, a minus seven. Create, tam- create Tamio's Notebook, a legendary colorless artifact token with spells you cast cost two less to cast and... Tap, draw a card. Spicy. <clears throat> so, general Frexian mana notes. Because I guess we probably haven't seen this in a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. So technically, you make the decision of if you were going to pay blue-green life as the second step to, of casting a spell, not at the time you would pay it. Technically. Cool. So when determining the mana value of Tamio, treat the hybrid Frexian mana symbol as you would a normal mana symbol. I'm I'm glad to know that because I don't know that I would have. Yeah. Known. So, the, so the mana. Va- <laughs> I wouldn't have guessed that right. The the mana value for this particular card is five. Okay. Unless if they do, because we also have the generic the the hybrid mana symbol that's like two generic or one of any color. So you could maybe third wave this and have it be like two a green and then two or green hybrid. Phyrexian or blue Phyrexian and then blue and then that would change the math and make its converted mana cost six. What on earth are you talking about? So there was a series of cards back in Lauren Block where it was uh it was it was hybrid mana, but it was hybrid with colorless. So you'd have like the two white mana symbol. Oh, I haven't thought about that in forever. Oh, that's right. Oh my right? gosh, please. And those, even though it had three mana symbols on it, because it was either too generic or a white, that symbol was considered worth two. So its its mana value would be six. So that is just, is just too complicated. That's probably getting things too small to do. But still, rules nerd. All right. So another another note here on the Frexian mana is Frexian mana isn't really mana. It's not a color. It's just a way to indicate you can pay two life instead of paying the mana. Well, here's here's a question then. If it's if it's not a color, why does it bother specifying colors? Never mind. Never. Phyrexian mana isn't a isn't a color, so I can't add Phyrexian mana to my mana pool. Okay. Yeah. Okay, but what that symbol basically means is, and we just colloquially call it Phyrexian mana, is I can pay green or two life. I can pay blue or two life. I feel like it ought to be green Phyrexian. That's why they don't hire me to make rules. <laughs> I mean, that's okay, that's so how you refer to it. It costs a green Phyrexian mana, and that's, but it's it is a calling it Phyrexian mana is denoting your ability to pay life as instead of mana as part of a cost. Yeah, that's the way of it. So general completed notes: completed is a replacement effect, not a self replacement effect. I, I admit that that took me a moment to figure out why as well, but. But we got there. I got there. All right. So it applies only to a permanent that is entering the battlefield with loyalty counters. Any other replacement effect that also alters the loyalty counters 
a planeswalker enters the battlefield with will be applied as normal. Yeah, so if you have like a doubling season, you can you can order your completed and your doubling seasons. You can you can double and then go down two, or you can go down two and then double. Choose your own adventure. Yes. <laughs> the completed ability looks only at if you paid two life for Frexian for the Frexian mana symbols, not if you paid life for any other reason. Yeah. It does not care. Yeah. So if something if something lets you if something else lets you pay life instead of mana for casting for casting a spell, it just says, "Did you pay the life for the Phyrexian mana symbols?" Not if you did this other thing. Apparently, um, the Phyrexians are very complete in their uh, specification of when you lose life. Apparently. Apparently. So next up. We've got returning two uh, two returning mechanics. Again, this, oh geez, this this set is like from a, from a rule standpoint, it's like, hey, you liked you liked hybrid mana and you liked Phyrexian mana. Let's stick them both together. You liked equipment, and you liked creatures. Let's stick them both together. Now we've got you liked sagas and you liked transforming double face cards. Let's stick them both together. I kind of like that. It's <clears throat> like here here are these great things we already know and love and know things about like let's remix them there's there's a lot of complexity though in in well just transform cards in general and then uh, sagas in general so we're not really going to spend a whole lot of time talking about uh the rules for sagas and the rules for transforming double face cards because we've been over them a lot in pre in previous episodes but we are going to talk a little bit about a rules change regarding transforming double face cards so we're going to talk about this card, uh, Azusa's Mini Journeys. It has three chapter abilities. Chapter one, you may play an additional land this turn. Chapter two, you gain three life. Chapter three, exile this saga, return it to the battlefield transformed under your control. Now, the reason they do the exile and then bring it back into play, and what it, oh, sorry, let me tell you what it transforms into. Transforms into a 3-3 three, three enchantment creature, Likeness of the Seeker. That says whenever Likeness of the Seeker becomes blocked, untap up to three lands you control. Okay, so typically the reason why they do this type of exile thing is to make it a new object and reset and get rid of any effects that might be affecting it and get rid of any counters or enchantments or, or anything like that that might be on it. Shake it off. Yeah, now they did make a rules change regarding transforming double face cards entering the battlefield. Technically, entering the battlefield transformed was a replacement effect. So was putting a lure counter on your saga. So prior to this point, the rules would have actually allowed you to decide which order to apply. So you could what? <laughs> yeah, what? yeah, yeah. So turns out, now we we typically say like, hey, you get to decide the order in which you apply replacement. So you would have been able to say, I'm going to put the lore counter on it, and then I'm going to transform it, and then you would end up with your likeness of the seeker with a lore counter on it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And they were like, okay, Perfect. okay. So, so turns out, when we talk about you can reply replacement effects in any order, that's not exactly true. It's mostly true. It's true in 95% of the cases, except when someone tries to get cute. So just to go over, we're going to go over the replacement of, of, there is an order to replacement effects when you're looking at something that's resolving. Okay, you apply self-replacement effects first. That's one of the reasons why we specified that Tamiyo was a day self-replacement effect. You apply self-replacement effects first. Then you apply any replacement effect that would modify whose control the object enters the battlefield under. There's not a whole lot of those, which is one of the reasons why we kind of ignore that. So 
then we do replacement effects that would cause the object to become a copy of another object. So you kind of have to know, if you think about it, we have to know who's going to control the object before we know who controls replacement effects that would turn it into copies of things. Okay. Now the new rule is the, the, the replacement effect of if the permanent would enter the battlefield transformed. We apply that. Now we apply every other enters the battlefield replacement effect. Amazing. Just a fun, and by fun, I mean extremely nitpicky uh, rules <laughs> interaction. Okay. So you, you get to choose your own adventure unless you're incredibly annoying about it. And then we <laughs> were laying down some rules. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. All right. So we have another returning ability word. We have channel. So channel is an ability word that appears on cards. That means pay a cost and discard the card as part of the cost for an effect. So this appears on Bamboo Grove Archer. It's one in a green enchantment creature, Snake Archer. It's a 3-3 with Defender and Reach and then Channel for four in a green and discard Bamboo Grove Archer. Destroy target creature with flying. That's, that's cool. So you get a little yeah. bonus effect there if you need it for something. Yep. Wait. I got a lot of questions about snakes being archers, given that they don't typically have arms because they're snakes, but we're going to... Old you know, Kamigawa we'll snakes that. had legs. That's a lizard, then. What? No. Because a... if it's a snake with legs, it's a lizard, right? Uh, it can have... We're playing we a game... We have a game. lot of animal questions for this we're, episode. <laughs> we're playing a game that involves equipment <sighs> monkeys. I think the snakes can have legs if they want them. Yeah, I'm not going to stop them. You know, who am I to, who am I to judge? So for for our channel friend here, discarding the card is part of the cost to activate a channel ability. If a channel ability requires a target, you may not activate it without a target just for this for the purpose of discarding the card. If only. Not happening. So channeling a card isn't casting a spell and you can't counter it. Yeah, that's why those channel those rare channel lands uh turns out their rules interactions aren't super interesting, but that's one of the reasons why they're so good is you just can't counter uh, with a normal counter spell. Right. Uh, I mean, that's that's not to say that you can't counter. There are ways to counter activated abilities. There's not many, but you can't be like, oh, I'm going to cast counter spell to counter your bamboo grove archer channel. Counter the arms off that snake. Yep. All right. Yeah. Oh, great. After I said I'm not a big fan of mechas here. I get to do You that. get to talk about the mecha. Yeah, okay. It's an anime set. Of course we're going to have mecha. They're cool. Yeah, so we took the... the We, wizards, took the vehicle concept and was like, you know what? Let's dial it to 11 and have giant robots. Which, I'm still trying to figure out why, like, the older the older cards in, like, Tempest and the Urza's blocks, like, the, for, the various Phyrexian machines. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's fine. But then the mecha isn't. I don't know. I haven't figured. I haven't been able to reconcile those. Like a lot of new things that come out, I think in a month you'll change your mind. I think it just has to like sit with you for a little bit. I don't know. I just. I think. I think I like. You know, this is one of those cases where I like my chocolate over here, and I like my peanut butter here, and I don't really like them together. So I like my magic over here, and I like my anime like way over there. <laughs> but anyway, so we're gonna talk mobilizer mech. It's one in a blue for a artifact vehicle 3-4 th that has flying, and whenever Mobilizer Mech becomes crewed, up to one other target vehicle you control becomes an artifact creature until end of turn. Okay, and it has crew 3. 
All right, quick summary of vehicles. The rules for vehicles have are largely unchanged. We've seen them before. Uh, vehicles are printed with a power and toughness, but they are not creatures. If it becomes an artifact creature, if it somehow becomes an artifact creature with a specific power and toughness, you know, like target artifact becomes a 5-5 creature until end of turn, that power and toughness will override the printed value. Um, the vehicles themselves, if they become a creature... Uh, the turn they come out, they will have summoning sickness. So if you crew them right away uh, to have them become a creature, they are summoning sick and can't attack. However, summoning sickness doesn't apply to tapping a creature when paying the crew cost. Because if you remember, the whole summoning sickness thing is you can't attack or use activated abilities with the tap symbol. Crew does not use the tap symbol. Correct. Okay. Creatures that crew a vehicle, from a flavor standpoint, are just getting in, riding along. You know, they're the pilots. But from a rules perspective, they actually aren't associated with the vehicle. So if you destroy the the mecha, the the pilots that crewed it don't don't die with it. You could even out. like untap them somehow and attack with the mecha. So they're just running alongside the vehicle that they're supposed to be driving. Because ghost they, riding the whip. Yeah, they got night rider or something going on. You can crew a vehicle that's already crewed. It just doesn't do anything, really. Like, it, it well, I say it doesn't do anything. We're going to get into some new rules in just a second. But at a high level, crewing a vehicle that's already crewed doesn't do anything. It doesn't, like, reset the power and toughness. So if you have a, if, if you have a mech, your mobilizer mech, it's a 3-4, and it somehow becomes a 1-1, like, effect sets its power and toughness to 1-1, you can't recrew it and get it to be a 3-4 again. Okay. Because crewing doesn't actually set its power and toughness. It just kind of like reveals the power and toughness that's already printed on the card. And finally, if you copy a vehicle that's been animated, the copy is going to be an unanimated vehicle. Okay. Now on to the new rules. Once a vehicle is an artifact creature, you know, you can use it to crew other vehicles. That's uh, that my favorite part. Yeah, that hasn't changed. What has changed is they didn't actually specify that a vehicle couldn't crew itself. So if a vehicle somehow becomes an artifact, it might have a power and toughness that would allow it to crew itself. And you can't do that anymore. And I think that's Tesla's because... has been trying unsuccessfully. Yeah. <laughs> it's just... Uh, because when they do, that's when uh, the machines take over the world. That's the beginning of Skynet right there. Right. Um, okay. The next thing is... Some cards in the set have a triggered ability that occurs whenever they become crude, quotes, becomes crude, like our friendly Mobilizer Mech, whenever Mobilizer Mech becomes crude. This happens when the crew ability resolves, not when the crew ability is activated, when the crew ability resolves, even if the vehicle is already a creature. Now, this is a little bit of a distinction because normally we look at, like, whenever a card becomes tapped... Okay, if I, so I tap my land, and then if I play another effect that says, like, tap target land or tap creature, it doesn't become tapped again. Becoming tapped means going from an untapped state to a tapped state. Specific callout for crew, going from uh, crude doesn't mean going from an uncrewed state to a crude state. It just means the resolution of a crude ability. This is because the whole rule about becoming, you know, becomes tapped, becomes flipped, whatever is tying off of a state. Being crude isn't a state. So it, it, 
it's it's a little it's a little wonky, but that's that's the way it'd be because the rules say so. Because it says so. Sometimes that's that's the best you got. Is because it, it says so. so. So here's our our next and very very popular returning keyword ability ninjutsu. So here's an example card. We have Blade Blizzard Kitsune for two and a white creature fox ninja. So and it's a two two. It's got ninjutsu for three and a white, which means three and a white return an unblocked attacker you control to hand colon put this card onto the battlefield from your hand tapped and attacking and it's got double strike so it pops in real quick it's very cute um so let's see in the last episode we talked about combat ninjutsu can only be activated after blockers have been declared and before the end of combat step ends there's some very important timing restrictions there So you have to reveal the card with ninjutsu before, or sorry, you have to reveal the card with ninjutsu when you start to put the ability on the stack. You also return the unblocked creature to your hand. The revealed ninja stays revealed until the ability resolves. It's still in your hand, just revealed until then. Now that's interesting. I didn't... (laughs) Huh. I suppose so. In the combat episode, we said if a creature is put onto the battlefield tapped and attacking, you got to choose the player slash planeswalker it was attacking. This is not true for ninjutsu. For ninjutsu, your ninja is attacking the same thing that bou- the bounced creature was attacking, so you don't get to yeah you don't get to rechoose right. And that makes sense because the the whole point of ninjutsu was like, oh, you thought it was a giant turtle, but in reality, it's a fox ninja wearing which a is way turtle, cooler. Which, which is wearing way, way a turtle cooler. suit. It's for the best. Also, like we said in the combat episode, creatures that are put onto the battlefield tapped and attacking were never declared as an attacking creature, so they didn't quote-unquote attack. Although the ninja is attacking, it was never declared as an attacking creature for purposes of abilities that trigger when a creature attacks, for example. For example. It just, that's, again, that's just the way it be. Alright. Uh... All right, so the next thing that we got returning is we were back to Kamigawa, so of course we got to have shrines. So shrines are a subtype enchantment, specifically legendary enchantments. But this time, they went in with a legendary. The shrines are legendary enchantment creature shrines. Uh, so we have the Go Shintai of Ancient Wars. It's two and a red for a two-two legendary enchantment creature shrine. Uh, with first strike, and at the beginning of your end step, you may pay one. When you do, Go Shintai of Ancient Ways deals X damage to target player or planeswalker, where X is the number of shrines you control. Now, a thing that's seen some confusion online about, shrine is a enchantment subtype. It is not a creature subtype. There is no creature type of shrine. These cards do not have a creature type. I'm sorry, Nameless Race. Aww. For those of you that don't get the joke, uh, Nameless Race does not have a creature type because it has a Nameless Race. That's, oh. that's the joke. Yeah. It, it used, It's an old card from the dark that used to say summon Nameless Race, but when they did the creature update, the creature type update, they just didn't give it a creature type. And I, I think they were correct for that. Yeah, I think they were correct too. Okay, so that's... So that's all the mechanics that we're going to talk about. Whew. Now into the card specifics. So, so I think, okay, so thoughts on, thoughts on mechanics real quick. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of complexity here. 
A lot most, of complexity, a lot of quirkiness. Yeah, most of it is in most of it's in reconfigure. Now reconfigure is kind of easy to grok, but uh, judges like to delve deep and go into all the little corner cases and stuff like that. So you know, it's it's pretty clear for like eighty percent, ninety percent of the time. Uh, modified's pretty easy. Completed, okay, get it. Transforming sagas, those have been around for a while. I think we've kind of absorbed the complexity. I can't imagine them being really, really complicated for a a new player. Like you just pull like a transforming double face saga. You're like, what is this? Can you imagine this being someone's first set? Uh, no. Which, <laughs> which, when we get into talking about the single cards, I was actually kind of noticing that we didn't have the explosion of like really super complicated individual cards because I think. I think they realized that, and they might have scaled down. The mechanics really speak for themselves, yeah, for complexity. I, I don't feel like it was necessary to get real complex with individual cards. Yeah, but we're still going to be talking about some clever stuff, so... Oh yeah, it's not going to stop us, but... Yeah, okay. <laughs> cool. All right, friends, we're moving on to Kamigawa Neon Dynasty main set card-specific notes. First up, we have Asari Captain for... Three generic, red and a white. It is a creature, human samurai. It's a 4-3 with haste. Whenever a samurai or warrior you control attacks alone, it gets plus one, plus oh until end of turn for each samurai or warrior you control. So there there does seem to be a a quote-unquote attacks alone theme in this set, so we're going to talk about that real quick. So a creature attacks alone if it's the only creature declared as an attacker during the declare attacker step. We remember that. We, we've talked about, you know, the, the complexities of that a couple of times recently. So if you're playing two-headed giant, your teammate can't also attack. Alone means alone, alone. Yeah. So alone. Yeah, one is the loneliest number. When resolving the trigger, a samurai warrior only counts as a single object for getting the bonus. Aw, no, no doubling up. <laughs> Next card that we're going to talk about is called Awaken Awareness. It's X blue blue for an enchantment aura, enchant artifact or creature. It says, uh, when awakened awareness enters the battlefield, put X plus one plus one counters on enchanted permanent. As long as enchanted permanent is a creature, it has a base power and toughness. It it has base power toughness one one. All right. So awakened awareness will overwrite any previous effect that set the enchanted creature's power and toughness. Okay. So it's just base power and toughness is going to be one one. Your vehicle, because this can enchant an artifact, it can go on a vehicle. Your vehicle will crew as a 1-1, plus any counters that you you may or may not put on. Um, This means you can cast it with X equals 0 to turn your opponent's creatures into a 1-1. Or their vehicle into a... a, so that when it does crew, it'll be a 1-1. Now, a little bit of a timing thing here. The power and toughness is going to become 1 when the aura resolves. Okay, when it enters the battle, so the aura is going to resolve, it's going to become a 1-1, and the trigger to put counters on it is going to go on the stack. They don't happen at this, it doesn't happen at the same time. It becomes a 1-1, trigger to put the counters go on the stack. So there is a window where you can kill the creature as a 1-1, or respond or do something before the counters go on. All right, next we have Boon of Boseju for 1 and a green. It's an instant Target creature gets plus X plus X until end of turn, where X is the greatest mana value among permanents you control. Untap it. So you look for the greatest mana value when Boon is resolving, not when it is cast. X in the mana value of a permanent is treated as zero. 
So transforming double-faced cards use the mana value of their front face even if the back face is up. Face down, back up. Yes. <laughs> yeah, ooh. Face, face down, back up. Okay. I said what I said. Yeah, all right. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, the next up is bronze cudgels. Not just one cudgel, but two cudgels. Two whole cudgels. Two whole cudgel. <laughs> all right. Uh, that is uh, for one mana, one, uh, one generic mana. It is an artifact equipment with uh, an activated ability. Two, until end of turn, equipped creature gets plus X plus O, where X is the number of times this ability has resolved this turn, and then equip of one. All right. A little bit of timing here. Well, let's first start saying the ability still counts the resolution times, even if Bronze Cudgel wasn't attached to anything at the time. So I can activate Bronze Cudgel once, twice, three times, while it's unequipped to anything, it's not going to do anything, but it still counts as an activation. So the f- so I equip it to a creature and activate it the fourth time, it's going to get the plus four plus O. Okay. Um, it does count itself in the resolving. So it's not like the first time you activate it, you just straight up get a whiff. Now, this ability counts as it resolves. So you can activate, let it resolve, activate, let it resolve, activate, let it resolve, and then you're going to get like a plus one bonus, a plus two bonus, and a plus three bonus for a total of plus six. Okay. You could also do activate in response, activate in response, activate, and you're still going to, as they resolve, you're still going to get the plus one, plus two, plus three. Shouldn't really matter a whole lot. Just saying it doesn't doesn't change if you try and get fancy with with activating uh, in response to itself. Um, Now, an interesting thing is if you copy the triggered ability, or sorry, you copy the activated ability with, say, like Lithoform Engine or something like that, that is going to count in the determination of the count. Counts for the count. Yeah, it counts for the count. So there you go. All right. All right. Cloudsteel Kirin for two and a white. Artifact creature, Equipment Kirin. It's a 3-2. It's got flying. Equipment creature has flying and... Equipped creature has flying and... Quote-unquote, you can't lose the game and your opponents can't win the game. (laughs) That's so mean. It's got reconfigure 5. So for 5, attached to target creature you control. For unattached from a creature, reconfigure only as a sorcery. While attached, this isn't a creature. Remember that from before. So, quote-unquote, you can't lose the game means no game effect can cause you to lose the game. It doesn't matter if you have zero life, milled out, 30 poison counters, any effect that says you lose the game. However, don't get cute now, because tournament rules can cause you to lose the game. Penalties and events, conceding. You you can't force somebody to sit there and play the game if they want to concede. I'm I'm given outside assistance. And the judge comes up and says, you get a match loss. And it says, I can't. Cloud steal Kirin. Kirin, Kirin. Don't be that person. Come on now. <laughs> so in a two-headed giant game, your team can't lose. Oh, that's so spicy. I like that. So if you were at zero life and Cloud Steel Kirin is attached to a bear cub, if you reconfigure onto another creature, do you lose the game? Yeah, does it no? Does it st- no? Okay. Is there like a brief little period of time where you slide in there? Nah, never have the chance. There is no time that it's not attached to a creature and the creature has the ability. However, if it somehow gets attached to an opponent's creature, then then yeah, you lose because you don't get that anymore. Yeah, so if you've got, so if 
I yoink your Kieran, then, and you're at zero, it's womp womp for you. Because then you have that ability. Yeah. Not me. Sweet. Next up, we're going to talk about the Dragon Kami Reborn. It is I one of these. I love the art on this card. The, the, the saga arts are kind of cool. <laughs> like the just the... They are often gorgeous. And I like it when they do something weird, like the art's like a wood carving or a leaf, like the picture's been carved out of a leaf or something. It's really neat. Okay, but Dragon Kami Reborn, it's two and a green for a saga. First two chapter abilities say you gain two life. Look at the top three cards of your library. Exile one of them face down with a hatching, not a hatchling, put a hatching counter on it. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. That's chapter one, chapter two. Chapter three is exile this saga, then return to the battlefield transformed under your control. And it comes in as Dragon Kami's Egg, which is a zero one enchantment creature egg. Whenever drama, drama commies, whenever dragon. (laughs) (laughs) Drama commies, you say. Drama commie. Whenever Dragon Kami's Egg or a dragon you control dies. You may cast a creature from among cards you own in exile with hatching counters on them without paying its mana cost. All right. A few things. Dragon Kami, your zero one one egg can't attack the turn it comes into play because it doesn't have haste. So you're not going to be able it's, to get it's it. It's simply not that aggressive. It's an egg. Yep. Um, second, it says you may cast dragon. Uh, you may cast creature spells uh, from among cards you own in exile with hatching counters on it. That is going to apply if you've had multiple... Dragon Kami Reborn sagas that have exiled things, you know, and you've got like five of them, six of them in exile. You can pick any one of them. Now, this card touches on a rules change. Previously, if you exiled a face-down card, the way the rules are set up, if you exile a card face-down, you can't look at it, okay? But there was a rule that said if you were given permission to look at the card while it was face-down... You can look at it, and then once you've been given permission to look at the card face down, you can look at it face down anytime, even if the thing that's giving you permission to look at it goes away. Like, once you've, once you've been told you can look at it, the game just goes like, yeah, 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 sure, you, you can look at it, you can, you can see what it is. It didn't cover the case in Dragon, Dragon Kami Reborn that says, look at the top three cards of your library, exile one of them face down, so you're looking at them. So previously the rules was, you're looking at them, you pick one and you put it face down. You're no longer able to look at that card. And let me let me be clear, man. I would never remember what that card was like a turn. You know, like even moments later, uh, I would absolutely forget and just. <laughs> so this has been a, an evolution of the rules for that reason. A lot of the times it was like if you were allowed to look at it once and then you put it face down, you couldn't look at it again. You were just expected to remember or write it down. And then they've over time realized that that people have the memory of a goldfish. And need to be able to look at it. Or or really, they just have the expectation of once I'm allowed to look at it and know what it is, why why can't I look at it again? So this was a corner case that they realized and, and they fixed. Right. Fable of the Mirror Breaker, which is a, a saga that flips into reflection of Kiki Jiki. I love Kiki Jiki. Kiki Jiki is... I love the old art where he's like got the dragon friend. Oh yeah. So, Fable of the Mirror Breaker. Two in a red. Enchantment Saga. And then for our, it's got three chapters. For our first chapter here, we've got create a 2-2 red goblin shaman creature token with whenever this creature attacks, create a treasure token. Our second chapter is you may discard up to two cards. If you do, draw that many cards. Chapter three, exile this saga, then return it to the battlefield transformed under your control. 
So then we get good old reflection of Kiki-Jiki. It's an enchantment creature, goblin shaman. It's a 2-2 with the activated ability, one and tap. Cre create a token that's a copy of another target non-legendary creature you control, except it has haste. Sacrifice it at the beginning of the next end step. Ooh, I love it. Good Kiki-Jiki stuff. Yes. So the token created by reflection of Kiki-Jiki copies exactly what was printed on the original creature plus haste. Nothing else. Just a photocopy, just a good old Xerox of the card. As, so, as modified by yeah, other as, copy. As modified by other copy effects. But it, it is what it is. If a copied creature is a token that isn't a copy of something else, the copy copies the original characteristics of that token as stated by the effect that created it. It is what it says it is. Yep. So you will get any enter the battlefield triggers from the copied creature and any enter the battlefield replacement effects too. I think that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Good enough. Now, if you copy one of the copy tokens, you will get a copy of the token and your copy will too have haste. <laughs> There's a lot of words copy in there. Yeah, you get to copy the haste too because it's it's one of the things that modifies the thing and it's magic. Yep. <laughs> With Kiki-Jiki, you make a copy, okay, and it has haste. Then you somehow make another, you make a, a copy of the token created with Kiki-Jiki. It's also going to have haste. That's what, that's what that's. Yeah. It's just a, a lot of, a lot of words copy in there. After a while, you just stress in the word copy so much, it starts to copy, lose copy, all copy, meaning. Copy. If you somehow create multiple tokens from the activate, you will have to sacrifice both of them. That's such a, what? That's such a bummer. Yeah. So if you have something that like double, double, uh, whenever a token enters the battlefield, make two instead or something like that. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Ooh, so, so next up we have Goshentai of Boundless Vigor for one and a green. It's a legendary enchantment creature shrine, which again is an enchantment type, not a creature type. It's a one, one trample. At the beginning of your end step, you may pay one. When you do, put a plus one, plus one counter on target shrine for each shrine you control. So they work together. And as you say here, hey, it's a reflexive trigger. Mm. I have no idea what a reflexive trigger is. Okay. so I never remember this part. Okay, it's fine. It's fine. So um, what we have with Goshintai uh, is we have a trigger that says, at the beginning of your instep, you may pay one. When you do, put a plus one, plus one counter on target shrine for each shrine you control. What's going to happen is, if that wasn't a reflexive trigger, that's all one ability. You would actually have to target the shrine before deciding whether or not you would pay. You'd have to target the shrine when it goes on the stack, but you decide to pay the one on resolution. So you would be targeting a shrine. You'd have to target the shrine. And then if you don't have any mana left... Why did you target the shrine? It also gets into weird mistrigger stuff because you're supposed to target... Uh, if your trigger has a target, you're supposed to target when it goes on the stack. And if you don't target, oh, then, you, sense. then yeah. you forgot it, right? But in this particular case, what it's saying is, is at the beginning of your instep, you may pay one. And if you think about it, this is kind of like a, a little rider that says, so the trigger is actually at the beginning of your instep, you may pay one. That's all, that's all it says. So when the trigger goes to resolve, you get to decide if you pay one. And if you don't, that's just the end of that. And if you do... Uh, the ability immediately perks up, raises its finger, and says, "Ah, when you do, put this put this trigger on the stack, and then you get to target a shrine and sense. put it on there." That's not nearly as complicated as I thought it was. No. That's, that's cool. No, it it makes things it makes things a lot simpler. It makes things a lot better for online. It makes uh, things a lot better for 
uh, Miss Trigger at Comprel events. It was it's just a really good idea. All right, next up, Grease Fang Okiba Boss. This is our motorcycle rat squad boss. Do you remember Biker Mice from Mars? I remember the name. I don't remember. That's all I really remember, too, but yeah. I think it was kind of like this. <laughs> all right. So it's one white black for a 4-3 legendary creature rat pilot. It's it's like the, the rats from Nim uh, decided to grow up and get serious during the Hells Angels. <laughs> um, at the beginning of combat... <laughs> geez, that's a... That's a story. At the beginning of combat on your turn, return target vehicle card from your graveyard to the battlefield. It gains haste. Return it to its owner's hand at the beginning of your next end step. Okay, so if you turn a vehicle into a creature the turn it enters the battlefield, it can't attack because it's not given haste. Uh, But this biker gang solves that. So at the beginning of combat on your turn, the vehicle, uh, you get to return the vehicle from your graveyard, give it haste, then you would be able to crew it and attack with it straight out. And then nice. uh, then you've got to return it to the, its owner's hand at the beginning of your next instep. So that's kind of cool. All right. I love this next card. I'm going to build an EDH deck around this thing. Are you? So yeah. I, don't actually, I don't actually know what a Kieran is. That, yet another animal question I have that I'm going to have to go look up after this episode. Oh. a Dawn Crown. Oh, Kierans are kind of like ducks. What? Yeah. They're like ducks. Ducks? Yeah. Everyone we've seen so far so far looks like a moose. Well, I mean that's just that's just flavor. No, they're like ducks. I'll, I'm kidding. We'll I'm completely making that up. Okay. <laughs> I'm completely making that up. <laughs> We're gonna have to have a whole conversation after this episode. No, about animals. They're like so. They're like some sort of like unicorn type spirit animal thing. So you can't be saying stuff like that because I'm sitting here believing you. Like how how can I make my how can I convince myself this looks like a duck? <laughs> and I'm sitting here struggling, Brian. I'm trying. It's because it also I'm, quacks. I'm like too a duck. naive for this. <laughs> so if it looks like a Kieran, quacks like a Kieran, it's a Kieran. <laughs> all right, all right. Hinata Dawn Crown for one blue, red, white legendary creature, Kieran Spirit, four four flying trample. Spells you cast cost one less to cast for each target. Spells your opponent's cast cost one more to cast for each target. That is pretty spicy. So the spells you cast cost one less to cast for each target. And that that right there, when you figure out how much something costs, so the steps of casting a spell, you know, if you have a spell that has multiple targets or a mode that lets you select any number of targets, that happens first. Okay, then after all those targets happen, you apply any cost increasing effects any cost reducing effects which is this then you lock in the cost and then you pay it okay so that's how the the setting of those values work now the last abilities look at the number of players objects whatever that are the targets not the specifically the number of times like like for example with magnetic theft way back up where I said, like, you could target oh, yeah. an artifact or a, a creature. So if I target my simian sling with both things, it would be reduced by one if I controlled Hinata, and it would cost one more if you controlled, uh, if you were casting it and I controlled Hinata. Even though the spell said the word target twice, it only had a single target. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. Okay. Fancy. 
Right. Next we have Historian's Wisdom for two and a green. It's an enchantment aura. Enchant artifact or creature. When Historian's Wisdom enters the battlefield, if Enchanted Permanent is a creature with the greatest power among creatures on the battlefield, draw a card. As long as Enchanted Permanent is a creature, it gets plus two, plus one. So here we have an intervening if clause. So it's set up weird so you can enchant a vehicle, but the vehicle has to be a creature at the time of enchanting to get the card. Yeah. So that you, makes sense. Yeah, so it's um if enchanted permanent is a cre is a creature with the greatest power. So your your vehicle has to has to be a creature at that time. Or the enchanted permanent is not going to be a creature with it can't even be a creature, so it can't it's not even in the running for creature with the greatest power. Right. We we don't look at all the potential things it could be when it grows up, mm -hmm. just what it currently is. Mm -hmm. All right. So weird timing thing. Let's say you enchant a creature with this in response to the trigger going on the stack. I destroy the enchantment. Ooh. The trigger will use last known information when resolving. Yep. To determine if it was the permanent, uh, if it was a creature with the greatest power among. Uh, creatures on the battlefield yep yeah but i destroy the creature instead the mm -hmm. enchantment won't be put into the graveyard until state-based actions are checked and at that moment it's not enchanting a permanent so you won't draw oh yeah. that's such a bummer right what? because <laughs> last because last known information is it's not enchanting anything right oh. the ability goes to resolve that's clever yeah gosh all right next all up right. is invoke calamity which is one red, 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 red wine. <laughs> Come back. <to> okay. Um, Invoke Calamity looks at the... Oh, sorry. I didn't even tell you what the card does. Uh, <laughs> I was so proud it of my... It invokes Calamity. What I, more do you need to know? I was so proud of my UB40 joke. Um, I completely <laughs> forgot. Invoke Calamity is an instant... That says you may cast up to two instants and or sorcery spells with a total mana value of six or less from your graveyard and or hand without paying their and or mana costs. No, just without paying their mana costs. If those spells would be put into your graveyard, exile them instead. Exile Invoke Calamity. So, Invoke Calamity looks at the mana values and types of the spells as they exist on the stacker. That's what it checks. It's not look checking the mana value and types as they exist in your graveyard. What this means is you can cast the back face of modal double face cards or either face of a split card so long as on the stack it meets the criteria. So it's checking, it's granting you a permission and it's checking on the stack. Also, you aren't casting the spells at the same time. One has to go on the stack first and then the second has to go on the stack above it. Now you're still doing this during the resolution of a, a Invoke Calamity. There are some special rules for casting a spell while another spell is resolving. So first spell goes on the stack, second spell goes on the stack, invoke calamity finishes resolving, and then we're going to resolve the topmost object on the stack. So you're going to put them in A and B, and then B is going to resolve first, and then A is going to resolve first. All right. All right. Next up, we have Iron Apprentice. It's one artifact. For one, it's an artifact creature construct. It's a zero, zero. Iron Apprentice enters the battlefield with a plus one, plus one counter on it. When Iron Apprentice dies, if it had counters on it, put those counters on target creature you control. So something of note here, the second ability puts all counters, not just the plus one plus one ones. Yeah. <laughs> the plus one plus one counters. <laughs> so yeah. whatever kind of counters it's got, they get to they get to appear on something else. Right, so and if you only have one actually... one one one, 
So if you only have one, 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 then only that one will <laughs> go on. Okay. Stop it. <laughs> so you <laughs> settle down. You don't actually move the counters. You just put the same number and type of counters on another creature. So so they're they're not sharing. They're just do you know co- copying? Not, I don't know. You know what I mean? Okay. So so you have a note here that says the Ozolith clause. Yeah. What what does that mean? So the, I know what the Ozolith is. What what is the Ozolith clause? This is becoming the new like hey we mentioned this once per once per release notes episode. So the Ozolith says whenever a creature you control leaves the battlefield, if it had counters, put those counters on Ozolith. Okay, so because you aren't actually moving the counters, you know, you're not actually, even though it's worded like you're just taking the counters off of whatever creature and you're putting them on the Ozolith, you're not actually doing that. You're just looking at it and saying, okay, what, what counters did it have? And I put those same counters on the Ozolith. So if you had out a bear cub and an Ozolith and an Iron Apprentice, when the Iron Apprentice dies, you're going to put its counters on both the Ozolith and on the bear cub. Even though it looks like you should just pick them up off of off of the Iron Apprentice and move them onto one thing, you actually make put them on the two things. Yep. So I, I see a note here that says this is sort of like modular. I, I can see that it is sort yeah. of like modular. So but... we also have this thing with a question that comes up with modular a lot is, because modular is just with plus one, plus one abilities. This is with everything. So there's this yeah, question right. of, if I have a if I have a zero zero creature and I have a plus one plus one counter on it and it's modular and it gets a minus one minus one counter on it and it's gonna its toughness is zero it's gonna die. Does that counter did the plus one plus one counter and the minus one minus one counter explode each other? Okay, before it went to the graveyard, like did it have the plus one plus one counter on it when it died? Am I going to get to put that plus one plus one counter on it? This is kind of the same thing. I have my Iron Apprentice, it's a 0-0, it's got a plus one, plus one counter on it. If I put somehow, some way, a minus one, minus one counter on it, what happens? Do those counters explode each other so that when it dies, I put no counters on on a thing or on that target creature? Or does it get the plus one counter and the minus one counter? The answer is it's going to get the plus one counter and the minus one counter. Because the way state-based actions happen, they all resolve at the same time, so those counters would explode would explode each other at the same time the creature's put into the graveyard. So the game looks and says, right before I was in the graveyard, I had a plus one counter on me and a minus one minus one counter on me. And then after state-based actions were checked, I had dead creature in the graveyard. So at that time, I had a plus one counter and a minus one counter on it, so those are going to go onto target creature and the Ozolith. Maybe. That's so cool. You're good at explaining things. I'm glad you're on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Thank goodness. All right. right. Next up, we have Ishin, two heavens as one for red, white, black. I like him. That's cool. Mm -hmm. Legendary creature, human samurai. It's a three, four. If a creature attacking causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger, that ability triggers an additional time. Bonus. So... If you remember the last episode, we went over the verbiage of attack trigger. Things like, whenever this creature attacks, or whenever you attack with one or more creatures. Those are the type of so triggers note, we're talking about. That, yeah, that's that's what we're talking about here. And note that the trigger itself is not copied, it just it triggers twice. This means that you can make different choices when you put when you put the trigger onto the stack. So, 
don't let that don't let that opportunity pass you by right sometimes sometimes triggers are modal which means you get to make a choice as to which mode you're going to select if you if the trigger is copied those modal choices are locked in for the copy but since this triggers twice you get to make new choices modal double face yeah. triggers yep all right katose katose uh the silent Kotose. spider katose the silent spider for three black and a blue or three blue black it is a legendary creature human ninja that's a four four and then it's got like this like eight point font so let's let's pretend i'm gonna put on my reading amount of text on this card it it so when katose the silent spider enters the battlefield exile target card other than a basic land card from target opponent's graveyard okay search that player's graveyard hand and library for any number of cards with the same name as that card and exile them. Then that player shuffles. For as long as you control Katose, you may play one of the exiled cards and you may spend mana as though it were mana of any color. Whoa. All right. So even though you might... <laughs> okay, I might have been drinking while I wrote this. Because um, <laughs> I said, even though you might exile several cards with the same name, and then in parentheses I said, who are we kidding? You're playing commander with this. Um, so you're not going to be yep. exiling several cards. You're just going to be getting the one. You can still only play exactly one of these cards. So if you're playing this in in a constructed format that allows multiple copies of, of cards, um, you're going to exile the target card from the opponent's graveyard, and then search their graveyard hand library, you're not going to find anything. Oh, wait, we're assuming... Um, uh, we're assuming uh, formats where you can have four copies of a thing. It says uh, you may exile, search that library, that player's graveyard library hand for any number of cards with the same name. So because they say any number, you can actually choose zero. So you can leave a card behind. So if I go to exile a bear cub from the graveyard, and I look at their hand, or I look at their library, and I see a bear cub, I can choose to leave it there, because it says any number. Now, I would have been able to, uh, um, uh, also, if they have another bear cub in the graveyard, I could leave it there as well. Like, I can choose that. So let's say I only exile the one bear cub, I would then be able to cast it. Uh, then the next turn, if I blinked Katose or something like that somehow, uh, I could go get the other bear cub in the graveyard and cast that. So there might be a reason to leave some behind strategically, but we're not a strategic podcast. Yep. And then here's could, another thing. Yeah. I, What's that? Go ahead. Sorry. Okay. So then that player, okay, that player shuffles. For as long as you control Katose, you may play one of the exile cards. It says for as long as you control. So if Katose leaves the battlefield, okay, you have lost control. If the opponent steals control of Katose, you have lost control. So basically, if she leaves your side of the battlefield for any reason, goes over and, and visits visits your opponent for a little while or, or blinky blinks out, you're not going to be able to cast that exiled card or any of those exiled cards. All right. Malicious malfunction. <clears throat> One black black for a sorcery. All creatures get minus two minus two until end of turn. If a creature would die this turn, exile it instead. So creatures that would die for any reason this turn are exiled instead, not just creatures that would die after getting the minus two, minus two. So mm. sinister. Yeah, it's malicious. While the minus two, it is so malicious. While the minus two, minus two applies only to creatures that are on the battlefield as malicious malfunction resolves, 
However, the replacement effect applies to all creatures that turn, including ones that enter the battlefield after malicious malfunction resolves or vehicles that crew. Ooh, that's that is so malicious. Yeah. <laughs> so malicious indeed. Yep. All right. There's a series of cards in the set that are like March of XY. March of Swirling Mists, you know, March of Reckless Joy, March of Adjective Noun. Um, they they all have, they're all instants. They all have X in their costs. They're like X blue, X red. As an additional cost to cast this spell, you may exile any number of blue cards, red cards from your hand. This spell costs two less to cast for each card exiled this way. Uh, and then they have an effect. So March of, March of Swirling Mist, exile any number of blue cards. It costs two less. And then it says untap up to X target, or sorry, up to X target creatures phase out. Or March of Joy, this is red. Exile the top X cards of your library. You may play up to two of those cards until end of turn. So for the March of Adjective Noun, uh, you may over-exile. And by that I mean, uh, since you can over-exile, or sorry, since you can exile any number of blue cards, I can exile 10. I can, ex- I can, I can exile 10 cards, and that would reduce yeah, my cost. Why not? It's a little treat. Yeah, yeah. I, can, I can exile all of them. Now I've reduced my spell by 20 uh, colorless. Okay, but there's only, you know, five creatures on the field that I want to phase out. Okay, I just over-exile. Uh, additionally, it never reduces the colored mana cost, so there's always going to be a colored mana component. All right. Uh, I don't really want to talk about phasing. So I'm just going to talk real briefly about what phasing means. There's a whole lot of rules for phasing, but basically just think of it this way. The creature phases out. Just take a piece of paper or maybe a coffee mug, a clean one, and just turn it over and cover the creature and all of the auras and all of the equipment. And just play a little game. Pretend that you have lost object permanence and it doesn't exist. Like you're little, you know, you like a little baby when they cover their eyes and they haven't learned object permanence yet. And you're like, oh no, my mother's gone. Peekaboo. Yeah. 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 You just peekaboo with your card. And that's really the easiest way to think about it. You just, you just cover it up and you are a child that has lost object permanence. And because it is out of sight, it is out of mind. Does it trigger? No, it's out of mind. It's out of sight, out of mind. What about uh, do the attach do the equipment and the auras fall? Nope, out of sight, out of mind. Uh, is it still in combat? Out of sight, out of mind. And that's kind of it. Mech hanger. This is where they keep all the robots. The robots. The robots. So it's a land with a couple of different things going on here. So first up, it does a tap colon add col- colorless. Next we have tap colon, add one mana of any color, spend this mana only to cast a pilot or vehicle spell. Then last up we've got three tap colon, target vehicle becomes an artifact creature until end of turn. So yeah, so that last ability doesn't crew because it, it doesn't say the word crew, it just animates. Since the And since the power and toughness aren't listed, the power and toughness will be set to the value it would have that it would have if the vehicle was crude. This yeah. is this is a, a long way to go for not actually being crude. Yeah. This is fakey crude. Yes. Right. So if if something that says like, oh, it's power and toughness is set to the crewing, even though we're saying like, uh, you treat it like it's crude, really you just look at that little number in the corner and you're like, okay, whatever that would be. It gets kind of revealed. Like an advent calendar. You just open it up what? and you're like, oh, it's a 3-3. Three, three. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my mind link mech. 
is two and a blue for a 4-3, air quotes 4-3, artifact vehicle with flying. Whenever Mind Link Mech becomes crewed for the first time each turn, until end of turn, Mind Link Mech becomes a copy of target non-legendary creature that crewed it this turn, except it's a 4-4, it's a vehicle artifact in addition to its other types, and it has flying. All right. Uh, so that, oh, crew one. Oh, geez. Only one. Okay. So first you want to, you, you, you want to crew it with a non-legendary creature. Like if you, uh, if you crewed it with a legendary creature, that ability is not going to, not going to resolve and it's just going to, it's going to be a four, three flyer. Okay, cool. Uh, so mind link mech's second, uh, ability triggers as its crew ability resolves for the first time each turn. If it's crew ability. So if you somehow are able to multi-crew it it's just going to be the first one that resolves some if you somehow multi-crew it okay mind link mechs triggered ability can target only a creature that was tapped to pay its crew cost this turn so you can't target something else if a continuous effect that isn't a copy effect is modifying mind link mechs power toughness or types that effect will continue to apply after it becomes a uh, after it becomes a copy so the reason is is all of this stuff where it says like it becomes a target creature uh except it's a 4-4 vehicle artifact in addition to its other types and has flying even though those sound like they're in the type changing layer and the power toughness setting layer and the ability layer <coughs> it's all happening in the copy layer it's all being set in the copy layer okay so that's where I'm saying if a continuous effect that isn't a copy effect later modifies Mind Link's next power, toughness types, that's going to apply because they will happen in the proper layer. Copy layer is first. All right. Now, earlier we said you can crew a vehicle and use it to crew another vehicle. So if you use a crewed vehicle to crew Mind Link mech, what happens? Whew. Take a deep breath, Brian. All right. Um... You end up getting a zero zero artifact creature. You go, what? What? Yeah. So the reason is a little bit tricky because <clears throat> this ability, like I said, it looks like we're setting the power and toughness to four three, but it's not. It's setting the power and toughness to four three as part of the copy effect. But remember, the copy effect just kind of copies the printed card. So at the time we are doing the copying, we're copying a vehicle. Okay. That vehicle does not have a power toughness. So I can't copy, I can't give it a power, the copy effect can't give it a power and toughness. Okay? That blows my mind. I so, never would have caught that in a million years. So since, so the 4-3 can't be set because it can't have a power and toughness. So it just isn't set. So then later, you know, as, as it's, as it's being crewed, it becomes a, a, an artifact, an artifacts creature. It doesn't have a power and toughness. So it just becomes a zero zero and dies. Or it's put into the graveyard. <clears throat> Holy smoke. Yeah. Next we have Mirror Box. I like this one. So three generic for an artifact. And it says, <clears throat> mm-hmm. the legend rule doesn't apply to permanents you control. Ooh, spicy. Each legendary creature you control gets plus one, plus one. Each non-token creature you control gets plus one, plus one for each other creature you control with the same name as that creature. That's good stuff. So a, a face-down creature has no name, so it doesn't have the same name as anything else. Now that note just sends me into like an existential spiral. Like th- things that have no names don't have the same name as anything else, but what? Yeah. 
but but nothing with any with any name has a man has no name like i i understand how why for the game it has to be that way but start pondering just the nature of null nothingness every, every null is different every existential void is is unique oh please <laughs> it's saturday morning brian <laughs> All right, so the second ability only buffs non-token creatures, but it sees and counts the token copies of your non-token creatures. So, give and take a little bit there. Um, okay, so what is the legend rule? The legend rule is is the rule that says if you have two legendary permanents with the same name, no you don't. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> so... State-based actions, you know, if, if you find yourself in this position, state-based actions, when they check, are going to see that and go, oh, no, that, no, no, no. You have to get rid of one of these one of these things. Or you have to get down, so, you get rid down to one. Yeah, you, you got to get down to one. You can't have, you can't have all these multiples. It's, it's goofy. So you get to choose which ones go away. You don't have to choose, like the most recent or the one that's been there the longest. You get to choose which ones go away, but you can, in fact, th- there can be only one. This is okay. this is Highlander. There, there's only one. Right. Uh, now, an interesting thing about the legend rule is it only applies when you have two or more legendary permanents with the same name. If you somehow have two permanents with the same name and one of them is legendary and the other one isn't, then you get to keep both. I'd never even thought of that. There are certain there are That's certain good stuff. Yeah, there are certain cards that let you make non-legendary copies of legendary creatures and you get to keep those around. So, very clever. So, okay, so what happens if I have a bunch of legendary copies of stuff and mirror box leaves the battlefield? Well, then I think you're about to have a bad time, aren't you? I am. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I think you're about to have to make a lot of really unfortunate decisions. <laughs> Well, really, you just make one decision. Which one of those copies do you like best? You know, it's your... Which is your favorite child? <laughs> exactly. Exactly the favorite child question. Don't look them in the eye when you make that choice. <laughs> they know. It's it's always the baby. It's always the most recent. As, as, the oldest, as the oldest sibling, I can verify that that is correct. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So next up we have Ogre Head Helm for one and a red. It's an artifact creature. Equipment ogre. It's this just, is a cool art too. I like this, this guy. Is, Look it's at him. He's a, just it's a, head. a head crab. It's just terrifying. A head crab. <laughs> head oh crab. No, he, he gives me kind of like Modok vibes. I don't know something about him. He's got so he's a two-two. Equipment creature gets plus two plus two whenever ogre head helm or equipped creature deals combat damage to a player. You may sacrifice it. If you do, discard your hand, then draw three cards. Nice. And then it's got reconfigure three. So for three, colon, attach to target creature you control, or unattach, reconfigure a sorcery, etc., etc. You remember that. Yep. So the triggered ability says you may sacrifice it. So it, in that sentence, is the equipped creature. Make sure you sacrifice the correct yeah. thing. <laughs> or I guess Ogre Head Helm if, um, if it's the one dealing the damage. Yeah. True. So it's if Ogre, Ogre Head Helm is equipped creature that you are sacrificing is the equipped creature don't be throwing things out all willy-nilly yeah Yeah, and you can't sacrifice the player (laughs) all right not legally no not in most states (laughs) oh maybe maybe in uh we're not gonna go in there okay Uh, (laughs) 
Not calling uh, any regions out today. What? What's that? What'd you ask? I said we're not calling out any regions today. No. Oh, okay. Uh, the reality chip is one in a blue for a zero four legendary artifact creature equipment jellyfish. Ew. <laughs> All right. You may, with with your reality chip, you may look at the top card of your library at any time. Okay. Uh, as long as the reality chip is attached to a creature, you may play land and cast spells from the top of your library, and it has reconfigure of two and a blue. So, you still have to pay all the costs and follow the timing rules. So, you're, if your equipment jellyfish is just an equipment because it's equipped to a, another creature, you can play spell, uh, play lands and cast spells. You still have to pay all costs and follow all timing rules. So, you can't play a land on your opponent's turn or anything like that. Okay. Also, once the spell that's being cast is on the stack, if reality chip becomes unattached or destroyed or whatever, it doesn't affect the spell that's on the stack. All right. And also, this doesn't let you use abilities on cards like channel. So if that top card of your of your library is is a card with channel, you can't channel from the top of your library. You can't discard the card. Um, there's other effects that only work if you cast from your hand, like fuse on a. a a split card like you can't do that so just make sure that you're just casting it as let's say as you would normally but you're casting it like normal but it's not from your hand so you can't use any abilities that actually care about if the spells cast from your hand all right next we have regent's authority for a white instant target creature gets plus two plus two until end of turn if it's an enchantment creature or legendary creature instead Put a plus one, plus one counter on it, and it gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. So if it's an enchantment creature or legendary creature, you don't get both the plus two, plus two, and the counter, and extra plus one. It's yeah. that, that word instead there is doing a lot of, a lot of heavy lifting. Yeah. <clears throat> so if it is both an enchantment creature and a legendary creature, you still only put one plus one plus plus one plus one counter on it and it gets plus one plus one you don't get yeah. to double up yeah uh, i kind of I, I hoped but no such luck i guess the way to way to think about this card is it the creature's gonna get plus two plus two until end of turn if it is an enchantment creature or a legendary creature when the effect ends it kind of leaves behind a little plus one plus one counter i mean that's that's kind of the flavor that they're going for right yeah okay next up is roadside reliquary it is a land that's it. Um, no. Uh, tap to add a colorless, or you could pay two, tap and sack, roadside reliquary. Draw a card if you control an artifact, period. Draw a card if you control an enchantment. Okay? Easy enough. In that particular case, if I have two, uh, if I have a artifact, uh, I'm going to draw a card. If I control an enchantment, I'm going to draw a card. Uh, if I have both, I get to draw two even if it's the same permanent. So if I have an artifact enchantment, okay, I'm going to draw two cards. That's because those are two separate draw card if you control an artifact, draw a card if you control an enchantment. And we're going to compare that to the Runaway Trash Bot. I love this card name so much. <laughs> it's a great, it's it basically, uh, I think... It's a Roomba, right? <laughs> I was going to say it's it describes... a Roomba that's had enough and it's leaving. I was going to say it describes me, <laughs> but... Just some a, days, some days, some yes. days, yeah. <laughs> but runaway trash. Did you know that Roomba is an anagram for a broom? I do now, Brian. I do now. Okay. Now I know that. That's and just it will thing. rattle around in my brain. Yeah, like a runaway Forever. trash bot. <laughs> just a Roomba 
with a with like one of those little uh, like the little stick with the bag at the end just yeah the going. little bindle he's got a little bindle yeah i've had it uh, out of here yeah uh, so i have a i'm gonna go outside so i have a roomba but i will not use it uh because i have pets i will not use it unless i'm home to supervise it because i have seen horror pictures of like poopocalypses oh no and i will i will not be that person well, so i i keep thinking about i keep thinking about getting a roomba but i think given the sheer quantity of hair that my dog sheds i think it would i think it would rise up or demand to form a union or or it would run away because it's it would be working way too hard <laughs> all right Oh, I, I meant to say, okay, this is fine. I meant to segue immediately into Runaway Trash Fun because I wanted to highlight the difference. So real quick, Roadside Reliquary, draw a card if you control an artifact, draw a card if you control an enchantment. Those are two statements. If you have both, you get to draw two, even if it's the same permanent. Runaway Trash Bot is three mana for a zero four equipment creature construct with trample. It says Runaway Trash Bot gets plus one, plus zero for each artifact and or enchantment card in your graveyard. For this card... If I have a card in my graveyard that is both an artifact and an enchantment, it's only counted once. Because this is counting the number of cards that have that criteria. Next we have Satoru Umezawa for one blue-black. It's a legendary creature human ninja, 2-4. I also think this is one of just the absolute best arts in this set. I, I love it so much. Um, when you activate a ninjutsu ability, look at the top three cards of your library. Put one of them into your hand and the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. This ability triggers only once each turn. Each creature card in your hand has ninjutsu. Two blue, black. Interesting. Everybody gets to be ninjas. Everybody. Everybody. So Satoru's triggered ability will trigger when you activate a ninjutsu ability. It will resolve before the ninjutsu ability. The card with ninjutsu will still be in your hand while resolving the ability and must remain revealed. Yeah. Is, is that going to matter? Probably not Probably unless you not. try and find a, an exact situation where it does matter. But if it does matter, now you know. If, if you really want to go hunt down a reason for it to matter, you can do that. All right. But don't. <laughs> yes, we have an enchantment spirit sisters call. That's spirit dash hyphen spirit sisters call. For three, white, black, and is an enchantment that says at the beginning of your end step, choose target permanent card in your graveyard. You may sacrifice a permanent that shares a card type with the chosen card. If you do, return the chosen card from your graveyard to the battlefield and it gains if this permanent would leave the battlefield exile instead of putting it anywhere else. All right, so first off, we're talking uh, card type. So we're not talking subtypes like goblin or equipment jellyfish or whatever. We're talking... Artifact, creature, land, etc. Uh, so this this trigger is going to create a replacement effect on the permanent return to the battlefield. That if this permanent would leave the battlefield, exile it uh, instead of putting it anywhere else. So the Spirit Sisters trigger is going to put that replacement effect on the permanent that was returned from the battlefield. That effect is going to continue to exist even if Spirit Sisters' call has left the battlefield. So if you bring a thing back and then somehow get rid of Spirit Sister's Call, you're still going to have to uh, exile that permanent if it would leave the battlefield. Uh, this replacement effect also means that the creature won't die. Uh, the abilities that trigger when... So that dying means put into the graveyard from, from the battlefield. And it's not put into the graveyard from the battlefield. 
Okay, it's getting exiled instead. So anything that triggers when something dies won't trigger. Now, here's a little thing that might blow your mind, though. Sacrificing also means putting a thing from the, from the battlefield into the graveyard. Okay, but um, if you sacrifice a creature, even though sacrifice means put into the graveyard, and you aren't putting it into the graveyard, eh, you still sacrificed. What? Yeah. So it's like, if you think of it as like, sacrificing is the start of the action, and the dying is oh, the result you... of the action. So you started it, you sacrificed it, it just didn't end up where you meant it to. So, so there. That does weirdly make sense, yeah. It like, does, but both Once are... I perform the action of sacrificing, you know, what happens after that is, is your business. <laughs> right. Well, I don't know. I tried to put it, I, you know, I tried to put it into the graveyard, but something else I tried to die it. <laughs> But yeah, there you go. All right, next we have Takenuma Abandoned Mire. It's a legendary land. So for tap, you can add a black. And then it's got channel, three and a black, discard Takenuma Abandoned Mire, colon. Mill three cards, then return a creature or planeswalker card from your graveyard to your hand. This ability costs one less to activate for each legendary creature you control. So... Our notes here really are really just do pay attention to the order you do mill first, then choose the creature or planeswalker. Um, and because you mill first, you can include th those three cards in your selection. So because this is all, all those things after the colon are part of one single ability that's resolving here, the, the opponent doesn't have the opportunity to respond between the milling part and the returning part. Like, they, they maybe could have responded at some point to, to this as a whole, but there's no sort of in-between part where you get to just mill in and then not choose. Like, it, it's either happening or it's not. Okay. All right. Oh, Tamiyo's completion. Oh. is for three and a blue. It's an enchantment aura with flash. You may enchant artifact, creature, or planeswalker. When Tamiyo's completion enters the battlefield, tap enchanted permanent. If it's an equipment unattach it just yoink yoink it right off enchanted permanent loses all abilities and doesn't untap during its controller's untap step okay so an equipment that lose because immediately well, how does this work with my, my equipment monkey with reconfigure if an equipment creature that loses its reconfigure ability cannot be attached to a creature by any effect okay it just can't Again, because that's that them's the rules. Um, because it's it's a it's a creature, so it can't stop being a creature in order to equip. Uh, an attached equipment with reconfigure that loses its reconfigure ability doesn't become a creature again until it becomes unattached. Because remember, we have that effect that that comprehensive rules effect that said you're not a creature until you become unattached. So mm -hmm. losing the reconfigure ability doesn't cause it to fall off okay because it's still attached and it's it losing reconfigure doesn't cause it to revert back to being a creature so it won't become unattached until the let's see here oh sorry <laughs> an attached creature with reconfigured that loses its reconfigured ability doesn't become a creature again until it becomes unattached and that won't happen until the triggered ability of tamio's completion resolves okay because it says it has that sentence if it's an equipment unattach it so it's so it's going to lose reconfigure, but it doesn't become unattached until the trigger resolves. So if somehow you're able to counter the trigger, it's going to stay equipped. Okay, does that make sense? 
I think so, yeah. Because I, I kind of jumped around there. I, I feel like I feel like I knew what I was trying to say, but I might have lost the thread on that. Um, nah, you're good. So a planeswalker with Tamiyo's completion attached to it may still be attacked and will continue to lose loyalty counters if damage is dealt to it. Okay, because that's just that's just a you know part of the rules. That's not necessarily an ability. Like losing loyalty counters isn't an ability. Right. Yeah. Tezzeret, Betrayer of Flesh. Two blue blue, legendary planeswalker, Tezzeret. Comes in with four loyalty. And the first... Okay, so before we even we even get into the pluses and minuses, the first activated ability of an artifact you activate each turn costs two less to activate. I'm going to be thinking about that one a minute. Okay, okay. Cool. Yeah. All right. So then we have our, our planeswalker abilities here for plus one. Draw two cards, then discard two cards unless you discard an artifact card. We've got a minus two. Target artifact becomes an artifact creature. If it isn't a vehicle, it has base power and toughness four four. Then for minus six, you get an emblem with whenever an artifact you control becomes tapped, draw a card. So that's pretty good. All right, so that that very first ability up there um, reduces the cost of, of the very first activated ability... That, that you try to activate each turn from from the artifact. The second ability and any others won't cost too less. It, it really is just that first one. Yeah. So even even if that first ability was was a freebie, yeah. so like a arcane signet, you tapped it for mana. That was that's an activated ability. You done did it. Yep. Didn't cost you anything. Hope you hope you got value out of that. Good job. Hope it was worth it. Yep. <laughs> All right. So if you begin to activate an ability that costs mana, but before activating the mana, you need to pay for it. That ability will be the one that that gets the old Tezzeret discount. Yeah. So, yeah. So this this gets into the activating the mana ability. So if I have something that's like two and tap, okay, I can actually start to activate it and then in the middle of activating that ability when I've got that window to activate, you know, where I can, where I can activate mana abilities to pay costs, I can activate it then. So that first ability will get the discount. So if you, if you do like, if you tap all your mana and you tap your artifacts for mana and then go to activate and cast spells and stuff like that, then you're actually potentially not getting full value out of Tezzy. Yeah. I I feel like really these notes just come down to like, make sure you're aware that, of when exit which one is the first one like don't don't be sad later when you realized you've already used it like i i enjoy calling this tezzeret's discount because it just makes me think of like toyotathon tezzeret toyotathon <laughs> tezzeret happy honda days <laughs> so tezzeret tezzeret's... arm guy oh yeah absolutely tezzeret out there in a gorilla suit like flipping a flipping <laughs> one of those signs or even better with the Statue of Liberty outfit. Those are my favorites. Tesseret and oh, with the arm with the with the creepy. Uh, I'm trying to remember what its arm is made out of. Ethereum? No. What? I don't know. It's it's from the Alara block. The uh... oh 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 yeah. Okay, I thought. Never mind. Yes. Whatever's going on. Yeah, with whatever that arm. material is. That's that's holding up the Statue of Liberty. Oh, that's a that's a horrible. It's like a torch. Feature. Oh, it is like a torch. <laughs> There you go. Right, it's like the it's like the Statue of Liberty Ooh, torch, but much weirder. Crown on him. So if you activate Tezzeret's second loyalty ability targeting a vehicle, the the power and toughness will be just what's printed on it. It only it only resets it if 
if you don't know, right? Yep. All right. So also for that second loyalty ability, it, it causes the vehicle to become an artifact creature, but that just because it does it doesn't mean it counts as crewing oh. because it does not say crew. You don't read the word crew. Yep. So. All right. Not too bad. Not too bad. Yeah. The next card uh, has actually caused a little bit of confusion, a lot of questions online uh, because of some confusing wording. It's the Knight, or sorry, the Long Reach of Knight. I almost called it the Knight of Long Reach. Uh, it is three and a black. I don't know. Long Reach of Knight, the Knight right, of Long. Like, I think that sounds more ominous. Jeez. Okay. Three and a black. It is an enchantment saga uh, with three chapter abilities. Uh, chapter one and two are both say. Each opponent sacrifices a creature unless they discard a card. Chapter 3, exile this saga and return it to the battlefield transformed under your control. And when it transforms, it returns as the Animus of Night's Reach. It is a 0-4 enchantment creature spirit with menace. And whenever Animus of Night's Reach attacks, gets plus X plus O until end of turn, where X is the number of creature cards in defending player's graveyard. Now, this card is an uncommon. So it's going to be seen a lot more than a lot of the times when we talk about, like, cards with weird rules interactions they're rares and mythics um but this one isn't uncommon so it's going to come up fairly fairly frequently uh in your sealed events and your limited and limited events now let's let's talk briefly about the chapter abilities because they seem to be causing a little bit of confusion it says each opponent sacrifices a creature unless they discard a card okay an opponent who sacrifice who doesn't control any creatures doesn't have to discard it's not it's not discard a card. Discard a card unless you sacrifice a creature. Okay, uh, or or hold on. Let me let me let me back that up because I'm I'm actually using. It's it's not saying that if you can't sacrifice a creature, you have to discard a card. Okay, right, right. It's basically saying you don't have to control it. If you don't control any creatures, then you don't have to discard. Okay, you could say like. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna discard a card. Oh, I guess I have to sacrifice a creature now. I don't have any creatures. Oh well, womp womp. Um, where this is causing some confusion is there is currently a bug in Arena where it's working the other way. Ooh. So oh, at the not. time of recording, uh, Arena is behaving incorrectly. But you do not. If you control no creatures, you are not forced to discard. They can still choose. They can still decide to discard. Probably be a bad idea. But again, that's strategy. We don't do strategy. <laughs> Nah. Nope. So last up on our, our regular, I guess, Kamigawa cards, we have Touch the Spirit Realm for two and a white enchantment. When Touch the Spirit Realm enters the battlefield, exile up to one target artifact or creature until Touch the Spirit Realm leaves the battlefield. And then it's got Channel for one and a white and discard Touch the Spirit Realm. Touch, yeah, Touch the Spirit Realm. Colon. Exile target artifact or creature. Return it to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step. Easy peasy. So if a double-faced card is exiled and returned to the battlefield with touch, of, touch the Spirit Realm or its channel ability, that card will return to the battlefield front face up. It has to. Them, them's the rules. As, so as opposed if touch to, the Spirit it, back, Realm... Back down or face down, back up. Face down, back up. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad you think I'm funny. <laughs> Thank goodness. If Touch the Spirit Realm leaves the battlefield before its first ability resolves, the target permanent won't be exiled. Yeah, okay. So auras attached to the exiled permanent will be put into their owner's graveyards. Any equipment will become unattached and remain on the battlefield. Any counters on the exiled permanent will cease to exist. 
When the card returns to the battlefield, it will be a new object with no connection to the card that was exiled. It's a brand new thing. If a token is exiled this way, it will cease to exist and won't return to the battlefield. They go poof. They go poof once they leave. Indeed. Nothing to return. Oh, and that is the last last card of note from Kamigawa that we thought was was kind of interesting from a rules situation. Situation. Yeah, there were there are two cards that we want to call out from the commander product though. We're gonna, we're gonna instead of having a whole other podcast to just cover those two cards, we're gonna do that now. We'll just knock them out now. Yeah. All right, which one do you want to do? Um, I want to do. I like the first one. Okay, go for it. It's cool. It's flavorful. Imposter right. mech for one and a blue. Yeah. It's an artifact vehicle. It's a 3-1. So you may have imposter mech enter the battlefield as a copy of a creature and opponent controls, except it's a vehicle artifact with crew three, and it loses all other card types. Crew three. So it's just it's just doing a it's just doing a, a copy thing. It's so cute. It's like I'm you, but I'm fake and a robot. <laughs> So because Imposter Mech has the except it's a, a vehicle artifact bit, um, let's see, I think the and it loses all other card types is redundant and just added for clarification, it won't copy the creature type or any of its subtypes. When you crew it, it won't be an artifact creature vehicle, spirit dragon, or whatever. <laughs> that, that's too many types. Yeah. It's, it's simply too many, so no. Yep. Not all that. Yeah, so there's a there's a rule that says when you set its when you set its type, when you set the type, you lose other types, with the exception being artifact creature, but it's not it's not setting that. So I believe that the and it loses all other card types is redundant, but they're just including it for for clarification because it it prevents a lot of questions. I don't think it's technically necessary though. All right, so if imposter mech um, comes in as a copy of. A, a creature that was also a planeswalker. Gideon. Yeah. That would be one Mr. Gideon. It loses both the planeswalker and creature card types. Loses it all. Yeah. Oh, that and that's so interesting. It, so the con, the controller can activate the loyalty abilities as normal, but it notably cannot be attacked and cannot lose loyalty counters when it is dealt damage. That's so quirky. Yeah, because it's not a planeswalker, so it's yes. got the abilities. So. They're there. They're there. Hanging around. All right. What a weird space to exist in. Yeah. Well, we're going to have like a very similar clause with this this card, Swift Reconfiguration. Uh, For one white, it is an enchantment aura that has flash, enchant creature or vehicle. Enchanted permanent is a vehicle artifact with crew five and loses all other card types. So again, loses all the other card types. I think think that's redundant with just setting its type to vehicle artifact. But it still keeps all of its abilities. If it was already a vehicle, it's just going to gain a separate crew ability. So it'll have it'll have crew five and crew one or crew whatever. Now, if we're mid combat, so when you cast this with flash, it's going to become a vehicle artifact and lose all of its other types. Okay, so if it's mid combat, only creatures can be attacking, so it's going to be removed from combat. If the card. Uh, and this is funny. So the card has to say enchant creature or vehicle because if it just said enchant creature, when Swift Reconfiguration turned it into a vehicle, the enchantment would suddenly be invalid for it and it would fall off. Okay, so it's got to be enchant creature or vehicle, even though you're probably going to be shooting a, uh, shooting for a creature with this. 
Let's see here. You can also use this to save your creature from removal by changing its type. So if someone tries to you know destroy target creature, you can be like, ha, it's not a creature, it's a vehicle now. Because of my swift reconfiguration. All right. Same thing that we got up with uh, with Planeswalkers. If somehow your swift reconfiguration is uh, being cast on a creature that's also a Planeswalker, well, that's not going to be a Planeswalker anymore. So if you're if you were attacking it, or if you, if your opponent was attacking the Planeswalker, the Planeswalker is not not a thing that can be attacked anymore. Um, you're still going to have to you're still going to be able to activate loyal abilities, but it can't be attacked and damage dealt to it uh, doesn't remove any loyalty counters. All right. So weird. Yeah. Now the last little bit is let's talk about swift reconfiguration on my equipment monkey. Okay. My my simi uh my what is it my simian sling of the equipment monkey. Um, since it doesn't lose its artifact type, it's still going to be an equipment. So you're going to have an artifact equipment vehicle. Okay, it is still going to have reconfigure, but it isn't going to be a creature. All right, if it's crude, um, if it's crude while attached to a creature. So so if my if my equipment monkey is uh, attached to another creature, so it's really just an equipment. It's not. It's not a monkey anymore. It's going to be an equipment vehicle that is attached to another creature. Um. Oh wait, no. This that wouldn't work because it has to be. Uh, has to be a creature in order to get swift reconfiguration on in the first place. Okay, but you could still. It would still have reconfigure, so you would be able to attach it to another creature. Ah, that's the, that's the point that I was going to make. So because it has reconfigure. It is an equipment vehicle. You would be able to attach it to another creature. Okay, so you have your vehicle attached to another creature. If you crew it while it is equi- while it is attached to another creature, it's going to become a creature and it's going to fall off. Okay, and and then so it's 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 an animated vehicle now. But if you reconfigure onto another creature, it's going to stop being a creature because of the reconfigure the rules about reconfigure. Clear as mud. That is so complicated. It is, but this this game now lets you have equipment vehicle creature things. So, yeah, it's going to be hard. So, flavor-wise, it is really neat, though. For all the, for all the complication, it is it is a very cool thing that you get to do. So, I think that's that's all we got. What are your what are your thoughts on the set? I'm really excited to play it. I haven't gotten a chance to to get out and get any of it yet, um, which I will probably go pick up some pre-release kits over the weekend and give it a try but all, all the hype has me super hype yeah i'm going i have, I have not looked much at the commander product yet are you and i know that's more your jam what do you think my, about it? it is more my jam uh i have bought the two decks uh just because i i think they have decent decent cards in them and i ultimately end up buying you know a third of the cards anyway the new stuff so <laughs> Right. Yeah, just go ahead and get those. Uh, I'm probably going to skimp a little bit on the editing for this episode so that I can get it up so that I can go out and go play. Uh, hopefully, Event Link is working by now. I know that people last night were having problems. It's a time-honored tradition. And, and I and I bring it up because I'm not a fan of Event Link and some of the restrictions in it. And I would encourage anyone that had problems with Event Link where they couldn't run their events because it doesn't allow it doesn't support really offline stuff and pairings and you can't 
run the event on paper and then enter it in after the fact because it doesn't let you do manual pairings, I would encourage you to write Wizards Customer Service and say, hey, why did you remove this functionality that handled that handled problem cases? Why are you making our jobs harder to make your jobs easier? <laughs> I, I had to learn one time quite a while back how to run tournaments on index cards. This was in the were days, not the event link yeah. days. And maybe that's a skill we, we ought to keep teaching judges just in case. But you can't enter the event <laughs> if you run on index cards because you're manually no. setting the, the, the matches. And then when you go to enter it in the system, you can't. But you have to record. Oh, I know. I'm just saying. I'm saying just just to get you through the night, <laughs> just to get you through the experience. And then you got to go to Wizards and be like, please don't, you know, affect my pre-release don't allocations next quarter because your software <laughs> pooped on itself and I can't fix it. Don't yell at me, Wizards. Yeah. I did my best. Yeah. Don't make it hard. Don't punish me because you're. Anyway, this is about Kamigawa pre-release, not Brian Vince's negative thoughts about being told crappy reasons why software doesn't exist when he knows better. <laughs> all right. All right. So, so that is our episode. Join us next time when we talk about something or the other. Something Until then, or the can, other. Something. I, there was something I wanted to talk about last time, but we had to do this episode. What, what is it I wanted to do? I don't remember. Probably something good. Anyway. Until then, you can send us an email at judgecast at gmail.com or like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at judgecast. Till next time, I'm Samantha Har and I keep it fun. I'm Brian Prillman and I keep my creature type even though I'm attached to another creature. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Okay, so an important thing I discovered. Oh, uh, should I stop recording? If you want. Okay, I'm going to. It's about monkeys. Oh, well then, by all means. So apparently all monkeys are simians, but not all simians are monkeys, because monkeys and apes are simians. Oh. And there's a difference between an, a monkey and an ape, but I don't need to get into all that. But there, but apparently all monkeys are indeed simians. I think you were correct earlier. Okay. Well, I mean, it was a complete accidental correctness. <laughs> like, it wasn't intentional by any means. It was just kind of like... And now I... Fell into it. See, now I want to know what all, what all other, like, animal facts we... What is a Kirin? Oh, it's like, okay. It's kind of like a unicorn, but a dragon too, kind of looking? That's kind of neat. It's not a duck, though, is what's important. It's not a duck. No, why would you think it was a duck? That's insane. Because you said what? You said that! What do you mean, why would I think that? I, I think it because that's what you said. Out loud! To what? me! Right? But still, like, why, why would you just think things that I tell you? Because you tell me them. <laughs> but, but you didn't question. You were like, why does this, why does this llama goat uniform, unicorn thing, why is he calling it a duck? You know, what, Brian. Yes? I trusted you. All right. <laughs> <laughs> if you tell me that this, that this dragon goat deer looking thing is a duck... I'm going to sit here and convince myself that that's correct because I'm sure you know. I'm sure you would know. And I just don't. And I am so gullible. I can't believe. That's amazing.
I fell for that. I am now. I was absolutely. I was. I was dedicated for a split second to convincing myself that thing was like a duck with hooves. We had. We had herons <laughs> with hooves. A duck with just hooves. a couple sets ago. A duck with hooves, just paddling away with the little with the little goat hooves. It's just all all paddle, all clops. <laughs> all hooves, no paddle. All clops, maybe duck. Don't tell me we can't have ducks with hooves when I just saw some herons with hooves not two sets ago. <laughs> okay, okay, point. 